my youngest daughter is eight years old now, but when she was about a year and a half, I vividly remember uh, this one specific doctor's appointment. This, this doctor's appointment, it was a well check. She was fine. She was doing okay. She was doing great. But we went to the doctor to make sure everything was good. As many parents, you know, this is what you do. And we show up at the doctor. He checks everything out and he says, yeah, everything's good. Your baby girl's healthy. She's doing great. And we left that doctor's appointment, but we didn't leave the property. You see, what we thought was a good thing at the time was that this doctor's office had a nice little playscape right outside the office, right? Fun, right? So we, we decided to stay and let our one and a half year old daughter play at the playscape. Now she was one and a half. So she was walking, but she wasn't winning any competitions. You get me? Like she was walking a little wobbly and, uh, but we're, you know, we're having a great time. She's walking a little wobbly at the playscape. My wife and I are turned to talking to one another in a split second, we look over and my little beautiful, healthy, one and a half year old, but wobbly daughter, she fell and she fell straight into a concrete bench. So I appreciate the playscape at the doctor's office. I don't appreciate the concrete bench. That was a bad idea, right? And, and immediately parents, some of you been there, like you look and you're like, I don't know, did anything happen? And then all of a sudden blood starts gushing down her face. And it's just this little bitty cup, but it just hit right in the right spot. Now, there was a few things I took away from that. One, I'm thankful it happened at the doctor's office because we went straight back in and said, hey, y'all gonna have to check this out. And they glued her skin back together, right? And so I was thankful for that. But then in another way, I was like, aren't you supposed to go to the doctor and come back better? Not worse, right? And then my third thought was, man, Life is full of pain. Even, a, even at the doctor's office, a place where you think you're gonna get well, there's pain. Now, why do I tell you that? Because I think many of us, we know that to be true in all of life. Right? Even if you're here this morning and you would say, hey, I'm not a believer in Jesus. You could, the one thing we could all agree on in 2023, which that's a miracle, right? The one thing we can all agree on in our world is that life is full of, of pain. Everybody experiences it, right? It, it is unbiased. It, everybody experiences pain. The distinction is, is how we process the pain. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today is how do we process pain? And we're gonna look historically in the book of Exodus chapter five is where we're gonna start. You can grab a Bible and head there with me if you would like to. We're gonna look at some pain historically, uh, but I, I know this isn't just historical or hypothetical for us in this room. I know for many of us, this is personal. For many of us, right now, you are in the midst of some pain, some pain financially, some pain emotionally, some pain relationally. Some of you right now, you came to church today, but that was the best you got. Like, Tim, I, I'm here, but, but things, even when I come to church, Tim, things aren't getting better, they're getting harder. And I don't know what to do with that. And so I believe God's word is gonna help us with that this morning. We're gonna look at the life of Moses and some pain he experienced. Uh, we're in this series, if you're new with us, Broken People, Big God. We're looking at the reality that as you, as you really read your Bible, what you see is there's broken people throughout the Bible. The only perfect person God ever uses in the Bible is Jesus Christ that everybody else is broken, living in a broken world. And so there's sin as a result of that. There's pain as a result of that. 
Right? And so we're looking at how God is, is faithful, but people are, are flawed. And one of those guys is Moses. Now, I think when we hear the name Moses, again, whether you grew up in church or not, many of you, you picture movies. I know I do. I picture first the classic Charlton Heston. Anybody? Like, let my people go. So strong, so deep voice, right? Uh, some of you, maybe you're like, I don't, I haven't, who, Charlton, who? <laughs> And you were born a little bit later, and so maybe this helps you, like Christian Bale. Not Batman Christian Bale, Moses Christian Bale. They made a movie. Okay, you can skip that one. I'm gonna just tell you right now, it wasn't that good. And maybe some of you think of Christian Bale, you think of that movie. Maybe some of you think of The Prince of Egypt. That's my personal favorite. The animated Moses, right, where he looks like 18, even though he's 80. I don't know how that works, but like, I think we picture Moses, we kind of, we picture movies and therefore we kind of picture a superhero. We're like the burning bush and the parting of a Red Sea and doing all these things with a staff. Like this guy was like Rocky Balboa, like, but even more, like he was, he was this great superhero. So we're thinking, why did he choose Rocky? <laughs> okay, that was a favorite movie of mine in addition to the, the Exodus movies. Um, but I think that's kind of what we think of as the power of Moses. But if you really read the Bible and the story of Moses, what you see is a lot of pain. And so we're going to look at one of those moments in Exodus 5, Exodus 6, and see what can we take away from the way Moses processed his pain, and, and what does that look like for me and you? So look at it with me, Exodus chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. It says this, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? That's how you should read that, by the way. This is not a curious question. This is an arrogant question. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it for they are idle." Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Here's our first point. If you got your bulletin this morning, if you take notes, here's our first point. It is following God doesn't make pain disappear. In fact, it often turns up the volume. Following God doesn't make pain disappear. And in fact, it often turns up the volume. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Right? Hey, I, I get that that's not the most positive, encouraging, K-love way to start this sermon, okay? I, I, I get like, it would be better to have like point one, like following God brings health and wealth and prosperity. Like that, that would have a nice ring to it. That would be a little bit more ideal, but I don't know about you guys, but as I get older, what I want less of is the ideal and I want more of the real, 
And that's, that's good for us this morning because that's exactly what we have in the story of Exodus and the story of Moses. That's exactly what we have across the whole Bible. The Bible is the most real, practical, honest book on the face of the planet, right? And so we're gonna get some, some real stuff, some gritty stuff that maybe didn't make the flannel graph and maybe didn't make the movie, but, but it's real in God's word and it's gonna teach us. And we see it even as we parachute in here. What we know from the context of the story of Exodus is there are around 600,000 slaves, maybe more than that because there's a reference to just men when it says that later in the book of Exodus, so maybe with women and children, it was like 2 million slaves. And they had been enslaved over 400 years. Some of you know the story of the Israelites, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. And there's a good time when Joseph is, is helping reign. And the, definitely they're not slaves at this point, but somewhere along the line, they become slaves. And it lasts for 400 years up until Moses' time. That's the scene as we show up here. And as we look at Moses, Moses wasn't Rocky Balboa. Moses wasn't a warrior. Moses was an 80-year-old shepherd who God comes to and says, hey, Moses, in Exodus chapter three, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna go to the Pharaoh. You're gonna go to the king of all of Egypt, who, by the way, people worship as God. And you're gonna tell him the real true God, Yahweh, sent you to say, set my people free. And if you go back and read Exodus three, and if you read what Moses and Aaron even say in Exodus five, it's not a request to Pharaoh, it is a demand. And so if you can picture the scene, this would be like an 80 year old shepherd going to Hitler in Nazi Germany at their peak by himself with, with a staff and saying, not will you let my people go, but I demand that you let my people go. That is what is happening. That, that's what just happened. You, you see, as we see this progression of Exodus 3, 4, and 5, it, it actually starts out really good. Like God comes to Moses, there is this burning bush, there's, there's these amazing signs that God gives Moses to let Moses know, you can trust me, I'm powerful. I'm going to provide for you. I have great purposes for you. He gets to show those signs to the Israelite leaders and they come along at the end of cha chapter four in the book of Exodus and they start worshiping God. They see the signs and they're like, we're going to have freedom. This is amazing. They start worshiping God. It's like a spiritual camp high. And then in Exodus five, Moses and Aaron, they actually obey God like to the letter what we see, if you look at the verse, is you see that they ask specifically for three days journey. They ask to, to go have these feasts, these sacrifices unto God. They want to worship God. And sometimes when we read that part of the story, again, if we've just watched the movies, we're like, well, isn't he supposed to just demand their freedom completely? Not for three days. Well, if you actually read the Bible, which I would encourage you always to do, if you go back to Exodus 3, verse 18, God does specifically say, does he have a total freedom plan? Yes, but in 3.18, he specifically says, I want you to go tell Pharaoh this, that you need to take these three days and you need to have these feasts as worship unto me. And so Moses, he hasn't always, when God first showed up to the burning bush, what did Moses do? He gave excuses, not obedience. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't speak that well. No, you got the wrong guy. Like I'm 80 years old, I'm a shepherd. What do you, what do you want me to do? He hasn't always obeyed, but in this moment, he obeys to the letter. And yet, things don't get better, they get harder. So what do we do with that? 
I think one of the things we do with that is we just realize like following God, it doesn't make everything better. In fact, it often makes things harder. And again, I don't think that encourages you, but I hope what I say next encourages you is that if that's you, some of you, again, this isn't hypothetical or historical, it's personal. If that's you right now, you need to know that you are not alone. Like the giant of the faith, Moses, like Charlton Heston, let my people go. Like the prince of Egypt, did you know he experienced pain when he followed God? That things didn't immediately get better, they got worse. And he's Moses, it's like superhero Moses. But, but it wasn't just Moses. As you look across the scriptures, what you see is a guy like Jeremiah, the faithful prophet, was also the weeping prophet. His life got hard. Well, you see with Elijah, many of you have seen the pictures of Elijah, this fire, he's raining down from heaven. He also says at one point, Elijah, he says, I have had enough, Lord. Well, you see with Paul, I mean, if there's ever a superhero, it's Paul, right? I mean, cape flapping in the wind, Paul. Wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, the greatest missionary church planner the world has ever known. And yet at one point, point, Paul says this. He says, I'm utterly burdened beyond strength and despairing of life itself. Jesus Christ, the son of God, he rises from the dead, right? In Revelation, we see this vivid picture. He, he rides back in, in victory on a white horse, tatted up with a sword. And that's Jesus. And yet the same Jesus in Luke chapter 22 is sweating drops of blood. And what Jesus says in the gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 20, a servant is not greater than his master. That if he experienced this, that if we follow him, you and I will experience this. And so what you need to see if you're experiencing pain in your life right now, and I, I know some of you are, like our team prays for you every single week. We get public, private, uh, public prayer requests that we can, we can say the names and we get private prayer requests. We get all of those things and our team takes time to pray every single week, our staff and our, and our elders for those prayer requests. We have a, a prayer team on my left and on my right. They're gonna be up here just a little bit later after the sermon and every single Sunday we're up here and we're praying for these needs. I know there's some pain in your your lives. And what you need to know this morning is you're not alone. You see, the lie of the enemy will often be, no, you are alone. Hey, it must be because of that thing you did. It must be because of that, that sin. It must be because of your, your background. And this is just you and everybody else in this church right now. I mean, they look dressed nice. I mean, you don't even belong here. I mean, their, their lives are going well. They follow God, they read their Bible, they go to Sunday school, they memorize verses and their life goes well. What's wrong with you? And that is the lie of the enemy. Read the Bible, even Jesus Christ. Did he have some victory? Yes, but first there came pain. And I, hope that, I hope that brings comfort for you that you're not alone in this, that Moses experienced it, that, that, that Jesus Christ experienced this, that we know one day there will be no more tears and no more pain. But for now, there's some pain. 
Listen, I don't know about you, but when I first heard that in my life from a preacher, from reading God's word, that was encouraging for me. It was comforting for me. I've experienced some pain in my life and it was after I followed Jesus. And at first that was confusing to me and disorienting for me. But now it's comforting for me to know and read the Bible and say, hey, this is what it's like to follow God. There is pain. It's not just me. Amen? Here's where it gets a little bit more encouraging. Some of you, you didn't look that encouraged. I'll be honest with you. Here's some more encouraging uh, notes for you. Here's the second point. The presence of pain, you should write this down. The presence of pain doesn't equal the absence of God. The presence of pain doesn't equal the absence of God. Exodus 5.22, skip ahead to that verse with me. It says that Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. Look at verse 22 and 23. Is Moses' experience experiences pain, he gets honest with God. Did you see that? He basically says, God, why? And God, how? God, God, why? This was supposed to be a rescue. All I see is more evil. What are you doing? And many times we see things like that. And I even read it in some commentaries. Like we kind of get on to Moses. It's a little subtle. We're like, okay, Moses full of doubt, full of complaining. But I want you to see is this is actually a really powerful example for us. And the power starts in verse 22. Look at that verse. It's really subtle. But if you pay attention, we see, then Moses turned to the Lord. Do you see the power in that? In the midst of his pain? You see, was Moses complaining? Yeah. Was he doubting? Yeah. Did he have questions? Several. But he did those things with God, not apart from God. He turned to the place we're supposed to turn in our pain, to the presence of God. And what's amazing to me is as Moses does that, and as some of us, we, we get on to Moses for, for doubting and, and complaining to God and asking God questions. As, as we get on to Moses for that, God doesn't seem to. Did you notice in chapter six, verse one, Moses doesn't say, how dare you man up and have some faith, Moses? We're going to write some stories about this. And this is making me look bad, Moses. Somebody's going to make a movie about this. And this is not going to sell well at the box office, Moses. No, he says, Moses, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Son, you just wait. I'm going to cause Pharaoh. He's going to tell you guys to leave. Like, you don't even know what's going to happen. Like, I'm powerful, Yahweh, God, I am. He points them back to, he is the Lord, the personal name of God, Yahweh. 
He says, I'm the same God. I'm still here. The same God that was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm still that same God. I'm still here. But he says, if you caught it, he says, actually, they didn't even know me like you know me, Moses. Like they didn't get Exodus chapter three. I am who I am was this first occurrence of this Yahweh personal name for God. He says, yeah, I was there for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these giants of the faith in Moses' eyes, but I'm still here with you. And I'm even revealing more of my presence to you more than I did to them. See, many times we believe the lie, don't we? The presence of pain, we got the math formula figured out. Presence of pain equals absence of God. And this story wrecks that. God doesn't say, how dare you? God says, no, I'm still right here. I'm still gonna do what I said I was gonna do. He says, I've heard your grumblings. I hear you, I see you, I'm here with you. I'm present in your pain. Do you believe that? See, I think some of us are like, okay, yeah, yeah he's there in my pain, but he's, oh, he's not that great. <laughs> And uh, he's like big almighty God. And I got some pain that I don't really think is appropriate to share with God. I mean, Tim, I got some frustrations. I got some doubt. I got some questions. And God's around, but I can't go to him with my honest questions. Listen, do you think God is scared of your questions? Do you think you're holding up God's throne? No, the very meaning of I am is, He's self-existent, amen? Self-sufficient. He can take your questions. Read the book of Psalms. Like sometimes I read the book of Psalms to my kids and I wanna skip some verses because of the way they talk to God. Uh, Two thirds of the Psalms are lament. Read the book of Habakkuk, the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. You're going to in two weeks because we're going to go through a whole series called Ask God Anything in the book of Habakkuk. And we're going to see that we can be honest with God. He can handle your questions. He's big enough, amen? So we're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks, but I would just say, be honest with God. He already knows. He already knows your questions, your doubts, your frustrations. Don't go away from him, go to him, turn to the Lord. See, that's, that's where the, the intimacy, the intimacy happens in honesty. The power happens even in the midst of that pain as you come close to the presence of God. In my pain that I've experienced in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in our church, in my pain, Man, those have been some of the most sweetest times in God's presence. Some of the most powerful times in God's presence. As I look back at my journal, which again, I wouldn't necessarily want to read to my kids at the age that they are now. Not because of just the pain, but because of the way I talked to God and the way I was honest with him. But as I look back on that pain, I look back on some of the most powerful moments of being in God's presence. Anybody relate to that? That's what we see in the Bible. That's what I've seen in my life. You see, good things can come from pain. It doesn't have to be wasted if you go to God. You, you don't go to God. You go to Netflix and distract and numb. 
You just throw a few more songs on Spotify. You, you go to social media. You, you run away from God completely into substance and sex. That pain is tough, but it's wasted pain. You can experience some powerful pain. You see, not everything that, that feels good or doesn't feel good is bad. I mean, just look at kale. It tastes awful, but it's good for you. I mean, just look at working out. I worked out yesterday to try to get ready for you people today, right? And my shoulder was hurting this morning. And I'm like, I think that's good though. <laughs> like, ouch, but okay, that's how it works, right? The muscles are tearing down, right, Chris? Isn't that the way it works? Muscles tear down so they can build back up. That's what they tell me. See, not everything that feels bad is bad. And what we see biblically for the believer is that pain can be good. James chapter one, as you experience various trials, multicolored trials, man, you can have joy, count it all as joy. Why? Because you like pain? No. You like what pain produces, steadfastness, maturity, completeness in Christ that wouldn't happen without the pain. So pain, the, the presence of pain doesn't equal the absence of God. It's the opposite. He's with you. Go to him. Give him your questions. He can handle it. He will be good in those moments in ways you might not see when everything is good. Here's our last thing. In your pain, anchor in God's promises. In your pain, anchor in God's promises. Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8, it says this. Say therefore, this is God. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I'm the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Did you see how many times God says, I will, I will, I will, seven times in three verses. God says, hey, let's take the focus off you and your pain let's put it on my promises. I will, I will redeem you. I will free you. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. I will bring you to the promised land. And he does. I will give you the land to possess. And, and, he, and he does. You see, what we all know about pain is it speaks loudly, not soft. Amen? I mean, pain, it hurts, it's loud. And sometimes what we, what we don't see in the pain is God's promises. And what starts to happen with Moses is he, he talks about his pain. He talks about his questions, but he doesn't stay in that spot. He doesn't say amen after that. Like he listens to the promises of God and he starts to bend the promises of God around the pain. He starts to wrap the pain in the promises. And that's because, that becomes his anchor of God. What are you going to do? And many times what pain does, it reveals that we don't have that anchor of the promises of God. Uh, just the other night, we had this amazing storm. Did you guys experience that? Praise God, right? I, I never, uh, like I grew up in Texas, there were storms all the time, like, and I, it, I didn't flinch. I got, a, I got an umbrella, right? 
In Phoenix, a storm happens, like our whole family comes. It's like Christmas. Like, is Santa here? <laughs> like, and we're just so, like, look at, look at the rain. It's dropping from the sky. How's that happen? And we're just like, man, we're so in awe of the storm. And, and we were that the other night when it happened, but then we just, we went to bed and woke up. My wife and I woke up about two o'clock that morning. We heard a, a lot of sounds and I walk out and my basketball hoop has fallen on the driveway. And by God's providence, we parked our car just like a foot behind the basketball goal. And I don't even know why. Normally we always pull all the way forward. That night, God saved us. We didn't, right? But my basketball hoop was down. And so I go and I move it around. And then the next morning I, I drive down the street and I see all these people with basketball hoops that are not down. And you know, all these amazing basketball hoops that are like cemented in the ground that have the little return things. So like if you shoot it and miss, like you don't even have to go get it. Like kids these days, right? <laughs> So coddled. And, but I see all these basketball, they're not like, my basketball hoop's like on the ground, like all janky. You can see all my dead grass under it. It's not a good look, people. And I see all these other glorious basketball hoops that are just rocks. They're fine because they were, they were anchored. See, many times in a storm, everybody experiences the storm. Some people are anchored and some people are not. And listen, even as believers in Jesus Christ, sometimes we're not anchored in God's promises. Sometimes we're anchored in a pastor. Is it a, a popular phrase right now is like church hurt. You guys heard that phrase? Some people are, are leaving the church even because they've been hurt by the church. I, I've experienced some church hurt. Part of my story, if you've heard it. I mean, it's, it's awful should never happen. But as believers in Jesus Christ, your anchor was never that pastor or that preacher. Your anchor is always in the promises of God. Amen? I hope you know that here because <laughs> I'm going to let you down. So don't anchor in this guy. Anchor in the promises of God. You'll still experience the storm, but you'll have peace in the midst of that pain. That's, when we see that kind of stuff, man, that's, isn't that powerful? I remember my very first college pastor, his name was Blake Holmes. His really young son got leukemia. And I remember people would come around him and even ask him like before he'd preach and things like that. Hey, how are you doing? Like, what's that doing to your faith and your view of God? Like, how are you guys navigating that? And I remember he said this, he said, I'm not deciding who God is today. I decided that a long time ago. And so I'm anchoring in that, even though right now there's pain, I know God's promises. I know who he is. Isn't that beautiful? And don't you want that kind of life? You're gonna experience pain regardless. Don't you wanna have that kind of peace, identity in the midst of the pain? It's only found in God's promises. It's not found in a pastor. It's not found in your portfolio. It's not found in your profession. It's not found in your spouse. It is only found in God's promises. Amen. And that's what we see in the life of Moses. And that's what I want you to see in your life. If there's anything else that you are anchoring in, but God, man, we got to switch that up. We got to confess of those idols. Repent and turn to the Lord, even in our pain and anchor in his promises. 
Now, some of us will look at this and say, well, Tim, okay, well, this, this is the Israelites. I mean, these are God's chosen people. This is Moses. I mean, I get like he, he does that for them. But no, if you actually read the story, if you just read the next verse in verse nine, Moses is pretty excited about these promises. He goes to tell the Israelites and it says they don't listen to Moses. And what you see, if, if you continue to read, you see more doubt, you see more questions, and yet what you see is these promises from God, they're not contingent upon their performance. God still brings about redemption. God still brings about rescue. He still brings about their freedom. And he doesn't just do that for them. He does that for us through Jesus Christ. Like if you just read the whole Old Testament, again, I already said, it, there's broken people in a broken world, there's sin. People don't always listen to God and obey everything he says to do. And yet God still sends Jesus Christ. Not, not Moses, not flawed guy, but a faithful, perfect man to die for your sin, to rise again in victory, to ascend to the father and to one day come back in on that white horse, amen, and make everything right and make everything where there's no more tears and there's no more pain. They, they didn't have all that story. You and I do. How much more can we anchor in the promises of God in the midst of our pain? You know how the story ends. Anchor in him and go through your pain. It's gonna be there, it's not gonna disappear, but you can have a peace and a purpose and an identity and a meaning in life where you can have the world in checkmate. And that's the way we're meant to live as Christians, even in the midst of our pain. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, I pray that this morning, I know that there's some people in this room, it's not hypothetical, they're experiencing some pain and if they're not, they will. And God, right now we have the beauty of this opportunity by the power of your spirit to anchor in your promises, to look at these truths for the Israelites and to look at the truths in all of scripture and know that you will bring freedom. You will bring redemption. God, you, you will take that financial difficulty, that personal difficulty, that marital difficulty, that emotional pain, and you will redeem all of it for the believer in Jesus Christ, for your glory, ultimately for, for our joy. God, may we put down our anchor there May we confess of any other false anchors that we've been holding on to of, of another person, another pastor, our financial portfolio, our profession, our status. God, just in the name of Jesus, we just repent of all of that. And we turn to the one true God, Yahweh. God, we turn to you who you meet us in our pain. You still fulfill your purposes, even in our pain even when we don't perform. God, you have a greater story, a greater rescue that you're gonna do in spite of us. Thank you, Jesus. God, help us to anchor in your goodness in that way. Help us to praise you even in the storm as we sang about earlier, because you're that good to be with us, to bring us through, even in the midst of our pain. God, we, we pray for that in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Amen.